It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to The Common Good, a show all about creating space, entering into the gray areas, the messiness of life that most of us are probably pretty aware of. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I'm joined by Brian Fromm. We're so glad that you're here. I want to begin with the story that we talked about yesterday and some reactions that we got on our Facebook page. Speaking of which, you can go to Facebook, find The Common Good Radio Show, and we'll be posting articles and stories throughout the week. We'd love to hear your interactions, what you have to think, what you have to say, and uh, we might even share some of them on the air like we're about to do right now. So, yeah, before we do that, it's just fun to see people interacting, right? Right? We do this. I'm like, is anybody out there? And yeah. It, it's really fun to have people. Uh, we, we want this to be a place where the conversation continues. That's and right. So uh, please continue doing that. And I even saw somebody yesterday Facebooked us saying that they had bought the bucket from uh, from Costco of the <laughs> oh, mac and <no>. cheese. <laughs> yes. If you're not uh, aware of what Brian's talking about, thankfully this is also a podcast, so you can find this in any platform that you desire. But the uh, the story that I'm referring to is uh, Lauren Daigle, who uh, kind of publicly declared that she's no longer a Christian artist, um, but she's an artist who also happens to be a Christian. Right. She's, she's heading kind of into the mainstream. And uh, she's been under a, a number of uh, controversies the last month or so. This seems to be just the most recent one. And uh, so we posted the article, raised some questions, and uh, we got some really good feedback. Um, Sean Gladding, who is uh, just a, a brilliant author and artist and friend, um, he's, he kind of summarized what we had been saying a little bit, that Christian can be a helpful noun, but is a, lou- a lousy adjective. Yeah, it's a great way to put it when i read that i said that's what we were saying that's yes it. that's it in I'm a an, nutshell i'm an artist who is a christian not necessarily a christian artist which or is a plumber or right whatever else. which is such a helpful way i think to, to distill it down think think of christian christ follower as, right. as the as the noun the, the person but it's not a great descriptor necessarily yes. and i i uh, i loved what doug zirkel had to say he said i have so much to say on this and i wish i saw this yesterday i'm so disappointed in how some people have responded uh how they've responded to lauren embracing the mainstream music make no mistake this was her plan all along, and not something she stumbled into. Did she? Doesn't the Great Commission call us to go into the world? Has she changed her music? No. Has she changed her lyrics? No. Has she changed her approach? Yes. She moved into new territory. And he like later talks about if someone new moved into the neighborhood, you wouldn't ring their doorbell and say, "Can I tell you about Jesus?" You're like, "No." You'd like have them over for a meal. You'd like build relational equity. And 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 Doug seems to be of the belief, and I think I. I think I agree with him that she she's just reaching a new market with lyrics that, you know, some point directly to Jesus right. and some speak to the heartache and sorrow that all of us feel. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we need to be so tribal and territorial. It's like she's going out from under the umbrella. No, uh, Lauren Daigle, whether it be Lauren Daigle or anybody um, saying I'm a Christ follower going out with my message into the more mainstream, I think is a positive thing. Uh, I think we need to uh, embrace that and and. I think what becomes important, too, is to presume right motives. Yeah, right. People are like, oh, just wants money or just wants to get sure. out from under legalism. Or no, maybe this is a mission field. Maybe this is her way of living as a missionary and going. Right. Um, and so we pray for her, and and we presume right motives, and we continue to buy her music and listen to her. 100%, man. Yeah. Well, you had a, a local story 
you wanted to talk about a little bit today that yeah. I think has uh, some fascinating implications. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So I'm uh, I'm a big sports fan. You've probably already gotten this over the first week we've been at this. Um, and we're in the midst of the NFL playoffs. But the Bears, uh, as I don't need to share with too many of you out there, uh, are no longer playing in the playoffs. And so yesterday, their coach and their general manager did their end-of-the-year press conference where the reporters can come in and just kind of pick their brain about whatever they want. And the, the press conference took a really fascinating turn yesterday that not many people expected. It began to discuss this running back by the name of Kareem Hunt. Hmm. So Kareem Hunt is uh, only in his second year. Last year as a rookie, led the league in rushing hmm. for the Kansas City Chiefs uh, under uh, one of his coaches there was Matt Nagy, who is now the head coach of the Bears. Right, right. Uh, Kareem Hunt this year was having another great year uh, for the Chiefs, but middle of the year... Um, a video came out in mm. which uh, there seems to be an altercation between him and a woman, and he physically uh, he punched the woman or kicked the woman. I forget which one. And uh, and after that, some other stories came out. Seems like his past is a little bit littered, and mm. uh, the the fact that a video came out, it, this groundswell came up that the Chiefs released him that week. So he went from wow. like all pro, one of the best, to released. He hasn't played since. Uh, it, the reason that you give that background is because in the press conference yesterday, uh, Matt Nagy kind of offered that I'd be open as the coach hmm. to bringing him in. I want to mentor him. I care for him. But also, he's one of the best running backs in the league. Right. And it has sparked this debate about second chances. Hmm. Nagy was quoted as saying, I give people second chances but not third chances. Wow. Um, and it got me thinking about the church and about faith. Like, what do we think about second chances? What do we think about who it is in the world who gets second chances? Because right. if Kareem Hunt was not a good running back, this wouldn't be a conversation. Right. So it got my mind going listening to it. Less about the football, more about this concept of, hey, you deserve a second chance versus, mm. no, what you've done is disqualifying, yeah. and I'm going to love you as a brother, uh, but bringing you on as a, as a teammate is probably not wise. Well, and it, it does it does kind of bring up the issue of privilege, too. Exactly what you said. If he wasn't uh, this mega-talented star, uh, he likely wouldn't be getting a second chance, or at least not in this way, right? I'm, right. I'm not saying nobody ever would have employed him. And he was he convicted? This is, this is something that's uh, proven, or is there still allegations, or... I think there's some gray still. Maybe I'm not. I'm not yep. sure. But to me, a, a conviction is you. You've disqualified yourself from from living that kind of life, from being celebrated, to being paid millions of dollars to play a game. To, personally, like that that kind of behavior, um, we you don't continue to reward that. Right. It's even when we talk about raising kids, right? I don't continue to reward this, you know, abusive behavior, right. and and that, that to me that is problematic. But I also know that the church is the place for second chances. Yes. That there are people. Uh, who have confessed to probably both of us to some really dark things. And I always lead with, do you know that God loves you still and forgives you still? That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be reinstated to whatever job you had or you're right. going to, you know, climb the ladder the same way that you had. Like there still are consequences. Yes. But grace still covers those things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that your profession carries out the same way. And I think it, to spin this to the church, one thing that always makes me really uneasy. Uh, is when we have these high-profile, uh, whether it be pastors, speakers, authors, uh, who who fall in spectacular ways, if you will, very public ways. I am all for forgiveness and reinstatement. I'm not sure. I'm. I think we've confused 
leadership yeah. and raising people back up to their place of prominence versus like restoring them as a brother and sister in Christ. Like I think when the pastor falls, we need to encourage uh, that man or woman back into community to yeah. be loved and forgiven and grow, not get them back on the stage. Right. Uh, and so that doesn't have much to do with the football one, but I, it always troubles me in churches mm. when we are really fast to go, oh, but we love that speaker. Yeah. We love right. that author. We want them back where they were. So we're going to kind of push these kind of questionable things down and be like, right. well, restoration, forgiveness, grace. When really that's not helpful. Well, and that and that's to elevate the talent yes. above the victim, right? Yes. If you're on the receiving end of somebody doing harm to you, what message does that say? That hey, we know that some wrong was really done to you, maybe physically, emotionally, but gosh, he or she is is such a good communicator. Exactly. We're willing to sort of look past all of that just because we kind of we need him or her to continue to speak because it inspires us this person us. yeah this person has grown this church to this level or this book has sold this much that we want them back on that stage right and that's not helpful that's right because, that's right because they're they're not learning the lesson if you will and so as a church friends we want to be all about grace we want to be all about forgiveness and restoration don't confuse that with just kind of pushing thing under a rug and That's re-elevating right. That's somebody. Right. That's clearly, clearly a messy, complicated topic. Yes. Well, uh, coming up next, what does the White House serve you for dinner if you were to visit? Well, the, uh, the Clemson Tigers found out, and it is a fascinating slash hilarious story. We'll find out more on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined by Brian Fromm. The show all about engaging the stuff that we have in common, the messiness, the gray, the tension, the things we agree on, the things we disagree sometimes loudly about. We we want this show to be all about that. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. And uh, one of the things I mentioned before the break was that, um, well, some people went to the White House. And mm-hmm. I'll just read you the headline, and I, want, <laughs> I want, just want to hear your reactions. Uh, it says, Trump serves Clemson football team McDonald's, Wendy's, and Burger King during celebratory dinner. Your thoughts? Response. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was like the onion when I first read it, right? Like it was hilarious. <laughs> and if you've seen the pictures online, it's funny. Um, it, it did get me thinking about uh, when I was in college, if our football team, I went to Wheaton College, if our football team had won something, some of my roommates were football players, they would have been, like, this would have been their wheelhouse. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> That would have been it euphoria. Been in the wheelhouse. But it's so funny. You should check out the videos online. Some of the Clemson guys were found, like, not knowing they were kind of being videoed, going, is this a joke? Right. Is this funny? <laughs> well, because it's, it's in the actual wrapper still, but, like, on <laughs> silver platters. And there's guys, there's guys in fancy suits, like, lighting yeah. candles. I've never seen... People in suits lighting candles around, like, Wendy's sandwiches on silver platters before. But I think deep down we're all like, you know what? I could I could dig this. Like, let me tell you a story. <laughs> oh, gosh. As a pastor, I ran a men's breakfast once at our church. Uh, and one time we ran a men's breakfast, and we, we went through a lot of work of having all these different people make food and all this stuff. It was awesome. And then we ran a men's breakfast, you know, six months later, and I went, you know what? I don't have the energy to coordinate that. Sure. And I ordered, like, 40 or 50 uh, Egg McMuffins, went through the drive-thru, picked them up, and if you call ahead to McDonald's, you can get these things. Wow. Got like 50 Egg McMuffins. You're an American hero. And these guys were so thrilled with Egg McMuffins and hash browns. (laughs) (laughs) 
it so you're was a fan awesome. of this approach, then, is what you're saying. This I, is the uh, this is the right, uh, the right move. For a formal dinner, probably not. <laughs> probably As a way to not. honor your guests. Yeah. Here's some fast food that yeah. I had somebody run and pick up exactly. for you. Exactly. But when I was in college, I would have been I would have been like, "Where's the Taco Bell?" That's but, a good you know. point. I do have to remember college. That's right, though. Because this is sort of in the the vein of college cuisine. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so on this show, sometimes we want to be pastoral, right? We're both pastors. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, and uh, Ian is over at uh, the Yellow Box in Naperville. Uh, so part of what we want to be able to do on this show is to be able to be somewhat pastoral and, and kind of give encouragement um, from a pastoral level. And with that in mind, there was this great article in the Gospel Coalition entitled, The Three Precious Words for This Troubled Soul. Hmm. And I, that got me. I was like, okay, well, what are those words? What are those words? Uh, and let me just read the opening paragraph. Uh, the author writes this, it's been happening most mornings recently. I'll wake up feeling crushed and exhausted. Condemnation. I'm doing everything wrong and everyone knows it. It feels like when I wake, the whole human race rolls its eyes and says, oh, it's this guy. Oof. And we all get that, I think, on some level. Like, no matter what we put out there, we, we get this kind of uh, crushing feeling that says, am I enough? Do people like me? What do they think of me? And his, his, uh, his thesis, his conclusion in this article is this. Because of this feeling, the three most precious words for us as Christ followers is, now no condemnation. That's good. Right out of Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says, as we can understand that we are not condemned, that, that we are uh, secure in our identity as Christ followers, that it gives us a freedom. Well, if I, could, if I could let you in a little bit on the insanity of a pastor's brain, too. I remember early in my ministry, early um, preaching in particular, still pretty young, and I remember a couple people coming up to me uh, saying, Wow, that's a that's a lot of uh, responsibility. That's a great opportunity. I'll pray that you don't get a big head. Uh, that was the constant prayer. Like I'll I'll yeah. pray that you don't get an ego. And I remember in my head thinking, if you had any idea how insecure I feel, no how like crushed I feel most every time I walk off that stage, thinking that didn't make sense, that didn't land. Yeah. I shouldn't be doing this. Like it was it was such a strange juxtaposition that it seemed like the vast majority of people thought, man, he's really going to be in danger of. Getting yep. full of himself, and I'm like, I, every every Monday I have to like pray for the courage to like go back, just because I felt so crushed, I felt so uh, inadequate. You know, there's so much truth to that. Um, it, I feel it too when speaking, when getting up, and and kind of you put yourself out there, and you're just having that feel of is this landing anywhere? Right. Uh, for me, I'm not sure that I'm a natural. Uh, visionary leader, like mm. go get them. Mm. And so it's over those issues where I start to feel inadequate. And like, uh, and I also told you last week, uh, I think I struggle with people pleasing and all of these mm. things constantly leads you to feel like I'm not good enough. Right. <laughs> it's the old, uh, <laughs> it's the old Saturday Night Live thing, right? Like I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And people <laughs> like me, like, where are we going to get that self-esteem? Where mm. are we? And, and instead, a lot of us live our lives just constantly feeling this burden and this condemnation. Well, it's not just pastors either. I, I've certainly met with people who have said things to me like after sharing a really deep, dark story of their past, you know, through tears in their eyes, they'll say, would, would I still be allowed to attend your church? Mm. And I think, man, that question that, that I, I wrestle with that so much. And, I, and I'll always say, you don't ever have to ask me that question 
Uh, the question is always yes, but it's it's amazing now, 15 years later, how often I've heard some version of that question. Like, I, I know that I've really screwed up, that I've really fallen apart yeah. at the seams. Am I even allowed to attend? And I'm like, man, when the people that ran toward Jesus are the ones that are running away from our churches, we should give pause, wow. right? Like, yeah. he... That, I think that's why Jesus was often just simply going to the places where people already felt condemned rather than waiting for those who felt condemned to come to him because he mm. knew this idea of feeling the crushing weight of not not being good enough, not being welcomed, yes. not, they're not being spaced at the table. He's like, well, I'm going to go after it then. I'm going to make sure these people know there is no condemnation. That's great. And you know what's a powerful word there? It just hit me is uh, not just no condemnation, but now. There is now no condemnation. Yeah, right. It's not future no condemnation, which we all know and we're thankful for. Right. But it's now and future. Right. Like, you are not condemned now. Why? Because you're so good? Because Ian's perfect? Like, no. Ian's a great guy, guys, <laughs> let me tell you. But uh, no, your lack of condemnation, my lack of condemnation is rooted in mm. Jesus Christ. Mm. That I am a child of God in Christ. Uh, that I am uh, his, you know, th- that I'm redeemed in him. And therefore, there's now no condemnation. So I can live with a freedom that now says, okay, I'm going to mess up and I can ask forgiveness, but but I can live with a freedom that says, man, I can run after God and knowing that in him is abundant life. And also, if he's not condemning me, what am I doing condemning other people? That's right. What am I doing doing that? No, no, my my role is to be an ambassador of Christ and help them understand that good news. It's kind of the, uh, it's the, uh, it's the idea that forgiven people are forgiving people, right? Yes. Like it's easy... Uh, maybe it's not easy, but I, I do think that sometimes the narrative stops with, like, me receiving grace. And I think that's the starting point, right? That is the entryway, like, realizing, man, that the end of your rope is the beginning of grace, right? Mm-hmm. Realizing, man, I, I could not do any of this to save myself. That's the beginning. But maturity means now I start extending grace. Now now I'm a conduit of grace and love and justice. Like, these things, to me... Often kind of get left off that a lot of our sermonizing, a lot of our gathering sometimes feels more like, well, I'm not condemned, so I'm just going to go live my life the same way that I have and like berating people, whether it's in person or on Facebook. Like, I think you're, I think you're spot on. This no condemnation thing, it can't just simply stop with this like individualized, siloed experience that God came and meant for us to experience this in community. Yes. I love how he ends this. Uh, this, he says, needs to define how I see myself. I need not fear the disapprobation of man when I have the guaranteed approval of God. Guaranteed approval. That's really good. Like, live under that. What, is it, what does that do to your day today? Yeah. That you have in Christ the guaranteed approval of God. It doesn't mean we don't have to change. It doesn't mean we don't have to confess and all these things. But we're not doing those things so that God approves of me and is happy with me. We have the guaranteed Approval of God changes everything. And it's also that invitation then to never have to not go to God, right? Like well, I'm often running away from because I, fe- I fear condemnation. I fear judgment. He's saying, man, the guaranteed approval in Christ, you get to come freely into the arms of dad. And I think that is one of the most freeing things so free. to be invited to. Well, uh, coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of programs versus mission in the local church. Do we have too much of one and not enough of the other? And we're going to dive a little bit more into that topic here at The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. I'm joined by Brian Fromm. This is a show designed to dive into the messiness, 
I think a lot of people have questions, and I think sometimes people are put off by this idea that it's an easy yeah. black or white conclusion. And one of the things that you and I both really enjoy is diving into the gray and admitting that, one, we might be wrong. Two, we're probably going to disagree sometimes. Just because we're pastors, just because we're Christ followers doesn't mean we're going to hug after you know each day because yep. like, we agree and everything. And a question that I think has been uh, asked of the church for a long time is this tension between programs and mission. Mm. Pro- programs being kind of the scaffolding, the, the structure, which is certainly necessary. And then mission or the mission field is the let's go do it. What kind of impact are we actually making in the world? And you, you came across a really interesting article, and I'd love for you just to let us know a little bit of what's going on there. Yeah, it's on exponential.org, and it's entitled From More Programs to More Mission Fields. So that's their perspective. Yep. Um, and I think all of this, Ian, works under a premise that says all of us want our churches to make a difference for the sake of the gospel. Yep. Like this isn't about like outward focused churches versus inward focused churches. This is about how are churches uh, best um, set up to help the gospel go forth and the kingdom to spread mm. throughout the communities. I think yeah. we've got to work under that premise. If you're not, if you don't believe that as a church or a pastor or a church attender, if you think it's just for you and your people, then you're probably going to disagree with all of this, regardless right, of which right, one right. we land on. Uh, and so the two models are this, that we want to offer the greatest programming at our church. The pastors will lead it. Um, and the more programming we can offer, the more opportunity it is for people to come into the building, um, not just be blown away by a service on Sunday morning, but then mm. also uh, have have different programmings that meets different aspects of their lives. Right. right? Well, I, I think you're right. I think programming has a great... Uh, motive. It's a great posture to like. We want to we want to engage people where they're at, right? There's something wrong with that. I don't think. Correct. And then the other aspect that they go here is more mission fields, that we best reach the world by equipping great missionaries who start and maintain communities on mission, addressing needs and making disciples in new contexts, uh, and that that even our programming is then best done in order to push people out. Yeah. So there's that picture of the church with all the arrows pointing in. Everybody come to the church. And the church, with all the arrows pointing out, we are equipping our people to go out as everyday missionaries where they live, where they work, where they play. Which is something that um, I, I heard someone years ago say that Sunday mornings is the push, not the point, mm-hmm. right? That it's uh, it's a battleship, not a cruise liner, right? That it is the way that we get equipped. And I, lo- I mean, we're, we're both preachers. I love what we do Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. I think our I think our music is great. I love teaching. I just love all, our teams are amazing. Like it's it's incredible to see. Like honestly, anecdotally, just even to pull off a Sunday morning at the Yellow Box, there's just so many volunteers that yeah. just do an incredible job week in and week out. I love the gathering, mm. but it's not the point. Yes, the the point is to then take whatever it is that we've learned or we've engaged with together back into our places of work, back into our communities, and I think. There's there's some pretty humbling statistics too about like how many people forget what the sermon was even about <laughs> come Monday morning. Just at your church, not mine. <laughs> yeah, sure. everyone holds on to it yours, but mine. But like that that is pretty humbling, but yes. also convicting because it it shouldn't just simply be about remembering this tweetable quote or this idea or even the programs and the programs we offer. I think are great, and yes. people have found tons of healing and safety and like the people that you know run the groups at the yellow box are incredible yes. like there's more stuff going on than i can even keep my head around like it's i think that's incredible but to always keep out in front the great commission that we are we are to we are to go into all the world wherever we're at 
and the great commandment to love God and love others. And yes. to do that means it can't just be about spiritual gluttony, just, you know, gathering and gaining more knowledge. You have to at some point work it out. Yeah. And uh, one thing that is stuck in my mind for people as a, just as a pastor or someone who attends church is that, um, people are have less ability to give of their time. Whether mm. it's true or not, I think we live in a culture where people guard their time mm. uh, so much so that the that a lot of statistics say that your average churchgoer will give you one slot a week, right? So that's right. Sunday morning. Right. That a committed person to your church will give you two slots a week. So what do you want that second slot to be? Right. Uh, at our church, we've tried to say, well, we want that slot to be, we call them community groups, small groups, life groups, whatever you call yep. them at your church. Yep. Um, what it does tell me is programs are really important because they get people trained and equipped. But the question is, for what? Hmm. And I think as churches, we need to constantly be reminding our people that it's not the job of just the pastor or the trained and paid missionary going to Africa or going to Chicago or whatever who are to take the gospel out. But all of us, every one of us is called to be a missionary. Yep. Uh, in your Whether you're a businessman, you're a teacher, you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, whatever you might be, you are a missionary in that context. And so the church's job becomes to equip you hmm. to be able to go do that. Yep. And, and that's where programming becomes important. How do I equip you to know the Bible more deeply, to evangelize, to just know who God is and, yeah. and live in light of that worship? Uh, but but then I've got to be pushing you out and pushing you out and and be good with that. Well, my uh, my friend Patrick O'Connell, who leads our New Thing Network, which mm-hmm. is this church planning network, uh, it's a global network, which is incredible. It's like you know, twenty six hundred churches are a part of this across yeah. the planet. We get to collaborate and learn from what's the church in you know Germany doing, what's the church in Kenya doing, and that that has been really humbling. But he's got this brilliant uh, three circle Venn diagram. And it's entitled The Elements of the Jesus Mission. So you have go, right, which is the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And you have love, the Great Commandment, which is Mark 12. But then one that I don't, I don't often see a lot of people reference, um, he says together. And he calls it the Great Collaboration, John 17, fo- focusing on uh, the importance yeah. of unity, right? It's not just about going like I'm by myself. I'm going to go love people in isolation. I'm, I'm this like love vigilante <laughs> for the world, but to do it in the context of community. And I think... That is the piece that I find so compelling is that, you know, one of the things that we'll often say is if you want to go far, or if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That's good. That's good. And and it also strikes me that, um, you know, this concept of it's so important to help all of us. And this is a, it's been a shift for me trying to understand that I am a missionary. Yeah. Uh, that, and, and if I stop being a pastor tomorrow, I'm still a missionary. That's right. I'm still called uh, to go and make disciples. And I think the church in general through generations has done a a disservice by uh, kind of saying to people, hey, regular person, just come here. Right. Maybe bring somebody with you and let, let the paid people get them. Right, right. <laughs> let the, paid let people the professionals get them. Get them. Right. Uh, the, the role is to equip everyday saints to go or, and, and to – to make disciples. We are all called to go yep. and make disciples regardless of um, what you do yep. or how long you've been a believer. That's our calling. And then the calling of the church is to equip the saints to do that. It's kind of like elevating the common. It's there it's seeing all that you do as an opportunity to be on mission, to to bring the sacred, to bring the grace of an invisible Christ visible. Like that to me elevates every interaction, every cup of coffee, every time you 
walk your dog, every meal that you share. These are all opportunities to be on mission. And exactly what you're saying, it's it's sometimes so heartbreaking when I feel like people, they'll even show up on a Sunday and say, I'm so glad I got here because I, I, need, I need a little more Jesus. I really need my Jesus fix. And I'm like, you know that he doesn't live here, right? Like, <laughs> I get what you're saying, but he's you can engage with him seven days a week. In fact, you should be, yes. and I'm not the keeper of him. Hmm. You don't come to the pastor. And I think there's certainly... Uh, wisdom in recognizing different people's giftedness. For sure. But, for sure. but this idea of like, no, we're all on mission together. And to say that clearly and constantly, I think is such an important work of the church. And it elevates everybody's role. You're not a, a fan watching the people do You're the right, game. Right, not a spectator. We are all players in this. We're all players in this eternal calling to advance God's kingdom and to share this good news of Jesus Christ. Like the pastor is not the ambassador of Christ. We all are as That's Christ right. followers. And I think regardless of what you do or your training, that's got to be encouraging and, and life-giving and motivating to go. Yeah, I know, I know it has been for me. I think seeing that has changed my life in ministry and helping, helping to see not just in my life but in everyone's life that we're all on mission together. Well, I love this discussion. I don't yes. think it's going to be the last time that we talk about this particular topic. Coming up next, though, we're going to have some laughs, some uh, insanity that we saw on the interwebs. And if uh, if it's on the Internet, you know it's got to be true. <laughs> so <laughs> can't, can't wait to share some of those with you right here on The Common Good at AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, alongside Brian Fromm. We're both pastors. We're both <laughs> lovers of music. Uh, and every hour, we like to, you know, take a breather, come up for some air a little bit, and share just some funny-slash-ridiculous-slash-terrifying stories that we just find on the Internet. And uh, we We've got creatively some called it, right? We've creatively called it weird things we found on the no, Internet. You no, you called it that. I, <laughs> okay. I, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> All right, why don't, you, why don't you kick us off with the story you found? Uh, this one is, uh, you can't beat this one. You're not going to be able to. We're just, <laughs> you just might as well go early out of this. You when just got to make it this. a competition. Let huh? me give you the headline. Paris's first naked restaurant closes after 15 months <laughs> due to lack of customers. I can't Shall I read it, it again? I, I can't believe it made it that long. Well, that is the uh, that is the ironic thing, that it actually made it longer than most restaurants, at least in the U.S., make it, but... Uh, 15 months, uh, it was not getting the traction that it needed. And so I decided to read through this a little bit and like, I, I was intrigued. Some details. Uh, this of course, of course you were intrigued. intrigued. Uh, first of all, the name of this Parisian restaurant was called Au Natural. Okay. Au Natural. And it was started basically, they would cover the curtains and, uh, and they were just like you would leave your coat in a coat room when you got to get into a normal restaurant. This one, people were encouraged to leave their clothes in the coat room <laughs> and enjoy a a three course meal together. Wow, that's all you got. <laughs> I, I'm I I don't know that I'm interested in commentating anymore. There are I will leave it at this. I cannot think of many worse things to to have to. Like where well, that could be done in the nude than eating in, in a group setting. That is gross. And I am amazed that this even made it 15 months. I would have thought like a week and a half and people are like, nope, I'm out. I'm just really curious like what the Yelp reviews would be for, for a place like that. We should find that. We're going to share the Yelp reviews sometime later. We're going to find the Yelp. Can I tell one? This could be dangerous. Can I tell one quick nudity story oh, that, gosh. Of, of a second place that's really bad? <laughs> sure, please um, do. We were on a on a trip once to Antigua, 
and there was uh, every morning. It's part of the Brid- British Virgin Islands, so okay. you know, um, people from France, Britain, whatever. They're they're a little more open than say in the United States. And there was a 60, 65 year old lady every morning as we're sitting on the beach who would just run laps. It no, was, why was, are you even telling me this? It was awful, and that's the first thing I thought of with this restaurant. Like people, if you ever have ideas like this. Bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, bad idea. <laughs> Clothing and restaurants feel like the, a necessity to be linked together. If you're thinking of opening a new restaurant, Don't. T- tell us on the Facebook and we'll talk you off the ledge. We'll, we'll, be tr- we'll try to change your mind. All right. This one, uh, the, <laughs> the headline says it all, and I laughed so hard when I read it. It said, uh, Florida man threatens to kill someone with kindness, injures neighbor with knife that had the word written on it. <laughs> like that. That that is a literalist right there. A thirty year old Florida man is facing charges of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon after neighbors overheard him threatening to kill another person with kindness. And apparently the blade <laughs> had the word kindness written. Did he think that would like hold up in a court of law? Like a judge would be like, Well, it does it does say kindness. There's nothing nothing wrong with that. I'm like, just picturing like a tattoo in my hand that says love and grace. Like, I'm gonna beat you with love and grace. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh that is fun. hey he said I'm going to beat him with kindness and no matter beat was. him with kindness kill him kill with kindness, kindness. Yeah. that's that's a bit much all right what else what else you got uh, you can always get them just in the headlines right yep. just in the headlines <laughs> I guess that's the whole concept of clickbait right yeah that's exactly the whole concept Taiwan man fined for sending cat in the mail. <laughs> Taiwan man fined for sending cat in the mail. A man has been fined in Taiwan for sending a cat that he no longer wanted via express postal service. At least it was express. At least it was express. That's very kind of him. <laughs> the 33-year-old man this week violated the Taiwan Animal Protection Act after he posted a Scottish Fold cat in a sealed cardboard box to a local animal shelter in the district. Uh he added that the cat's mobility problems, the result of an earlier leg injury, had not improved, and so he needed to get rid of the cat. So, what was that thought process like? Like he's he's looking at Fluffy, and he's like, oh, I got to find a box around here somewhere. Probably some packing peanuts. Like, what? What does he not have anyone else in his life that's like, hey, man, that's probably not a great move. <laughs> I, again, it's all in the title. <laughs> like again, if you're out there thinking about sending your your your, your pet or a pet, any kind of any pet, pet. <laughs> via express mail, it's a bad idea. Just not a good. And idea. if you're a postal worker and the box moves, don't send it. Right, that's smart. Don't go. That's a smart move. Don't go. Uh, okay, so this one is funny, but it's also like a, it's a little scary. It says surgeon will pay a three thousand dollar fine for accidentally removing a kidney. So mm. uh, I don't know how you accidentally remove a kidney. I'm not really sure how that happened. But I, can you imagine like waking up after that surgery? Like, hey, uh, really sorry. We accidentally took out more than we intended. Or like it was his first day on the job. It's a trainee. He's shadowing. What's that insurance commercial right now where it's like, oh, is this doctor good? He's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's okay. Right. Lie to me. Just tell me he's awesome. Tell me he's the best. I, I remember having to go to the doctor over the summer. And uh, the guy, the guy walked in, and his hair was all messy. And he lit- first words to me, he says, "Hey, mom, I'm a little out of it, but we're going to take care of you." And I was like, "Don't tell me that. Don't, <laughs> don't tell it. me you're out of it. Just pretend. Just lie." Oh, uh, here we go. Standoff. A standoff ends after a homeowner returns from a walk. <laughs> so a nearly three-hour standoff with police in a Bethlehem, Pennsylvania township home turned out to be an empty house. 
The incident Saturday began when the father of a man who lives at the house called 911 and thought his wife uh, thought his son uh, had been uh, shot by his wife. Police surrounded the house and ordered nearby residents to shelter. After about two and a half hours, the man returned to the house and said he had just been out for a walk. <laughs> and police tell the, the website that the man's wife had left the house before they had ever arrived. So the moral of the story is just don't go for walks. <laughs> <laughs> Not two and a half hour walks. Right. Like that was my first thought. Who walks for two and a half hours? I think a lot of people do. I used to work at a kiosk in the mall and people would show up at you know the crack of dawn in their tracksuits and they'd just walk. That's the one that fascinates me, the people who walk the, the mall. I, honestly, I don't know if this is just me getting older. I get it now. Oh, totally. That makes so much sense. I do like eight laps and then Auntie <laughs> Anne's pretzels right there in the food court, man. A that's, Cinnabon to go. That's a real metaphor right there, too. Can you can you keep your eye on fitness with the smell of Cinnabon <laughs> wafting every 15 minutes as you walk past the store? And you worked at a kiosk? I, well, I worked at a Starbucks, a little Starbucks kiosk, yeah. Okay. It was, okay. It was, it was more of a, uh, a cafe than anything. But I okay. want to I end with a happy one. Oh, wait, no, you got one. Yeah, I got one. Excuse okay, go, me. Go, Excuse go. me. Sorry, I, I jumped the line here. Here's a guy that I really get. I feel like he gets me. <laughs> the headline is, speeding driver told police he wanted a kebab. <laughs> so he, was, he was going 123 miles an hour. You know, and the police, you know, they ask, um, going somewhere in a hurry? And his response was, just really wanted a kebab, <laughs> which I get. That's something that, that's, that's something that you, uh, you, you go after with some urgency, so... This uh, being, you know, being from Dearborn, Michigan, and uh, you know the largest Middle Eastern population per capita in the world outside the Middle East, home to some of the best kebabs. If there's a good kebab to be had, uh, I, I want to be a part of it. Maybe, maybe not speeding 123 miles an hour, but yes, I feel like I really get this guy. Yes. All right. Well, let's end with a good one, like a happy one, a make you feel good about humanity one. In Kazakhstan, uh, a woman absent-mindedly left her purse on a subway platform and got on the train. Uh, that purse had in it ten thousand dollars in cash. In cash. In cash. She said it was it was going to be used to buy Christmas gifts for her kids. Yeah. And the person by the name of Richard Taverno, who found it, said it's not mine. Obviously, someone's in pretty bad shape and needs this. Tracked her down. No kidding. Went to great lengths to track her down and return her purse with all ten thousand dollars remaining in it. And those are those kind of always make me feel good and always make me wonder, like, what would I do if I found $10,000? Yeah, no joke. Uh, but just doing something inspiring, something hopeful, that makes you – so often we read stories and we're like, oh, humanity. God, yeah. just end it now, right? And then you read these and you're like, oh, there are people. Yeah, no There are good people all <laughs> right. around us and in the world. So good on him. It does kind of restore my hope in humanity. I yes. think you're absolutely right. Well – Coming up next, uh, Gillette has released a commercial slash uh, short movie, short film, that's caused a lot of controversy about toxic masculinity. And we're going to talk about it right here, The Common Good, on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined by Brian Fromm. The show all about engaging some of the stuff that we have in common, but also maybe elevating the common around us, the things that are easily overlooked, but also 
engaging with the gray, the messy, the tension. And uh, I think this might be the messiest today. This mm-hmm. particular story, it, it comes from uh, Gillette, the razor company, and their slogan, I think, for years has been the best a man can get, yep. right? And they uh, released a commercial that they're calling a, a short film yesterday. Um, and the, the title is pretty provocative. It's sort of asking, is, is, this, is this the best a man can get? Kind of going after uh, the notion of toxic masculinity. And so uh, ra- rather than just talk about it, uh, I thought I'd, I'd play you the audio because yep. it's, it's narrated. It's pretty self-explanatory. So we're going we're gonna to play that. Uh, we're going to play that commercial, and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? What I actually think she's trying to say making the same old excuses boys will be boys boys will be boys boys will be boys but something finally changed allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment and there will be no going back because we we believe in the best in men men need to hold other men accountable smile sweetie come on to say the right thing. To act the right way. Not cool. Not cool. Some already are. In ways big and small. But some is not enough. So how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today be the men of tomorrow. So pretty pretty intense no matter how Absolutely. you look at it, right? Whether yes. you agree or disagree with its main theme, an intense commercial yes. for sure. And, and having just become a father for the first time, mm. just a little over a year ago, you know, it ends with this, this scene of this little boy talking about the boys becoming the men of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like that, that kind of that hit me, this idea of like believing the best in men. Yes. But also the idea of men holding men accountable, right? Absolutely. And there's a lot of stats, a lot of data getting tossed around. You know, how, how much of an issue is this? And I think mo- most of the stats seem to point that, that this toxic masculinity is a bigger issue than maybe a lot of us have been willing to recognize. Yes. Um, but there's there's a number of sides to this story. So I'd love to, you know, just hearing that, watching it. What, what are some of your reactions? Uh, yeah, you highlighted the line that I wrote down, the one that stood out to me, that we believe in best of men. Hmm. And I think that's what we all want. And I don't think this is uh, a new issue. I think it's new that that things are coming out, Mm. right? This whole concept of toxic masculinity. Um, And uh, sometimes I feel like we can swing the pendulum too far the other way and say some – He, I think the commercial says some are living, you know, as men are supposed to. I want to say – most are living as they're supposed to. Hmm. Most of the men I know, but what gets highlighted is the men who aren't. Yeah. And I do. I feel a burden. I've got a son. I feel a burden for my son to understand what it means to be a man. Right. Being a man is not being a jerk. It's not being overly like macho. There's a part, there's a macho-ness to men, I think, but not all men. Right. It means 
basically, if I could rewrite this commercial, obviously they're not going to do this. I would want to speak to what is what is a biblical man? Hmm. What is a biblical man? And and it's nothing. It's not. It's not a weak man. It's not an overly strong man. It's it's a sacrificial man. A, a one who wants the best for everybody, and, and not only just other men, but for women. And, and there's a sacrifice. And so those are the things that were going through my mind. And as you said, as as I interacted with listening to that, uh, I, I had my son in my mind mm. going, yeah, I, I want him to be a man in, in the most biblical sense. Yeah, right. Well, even uh, – so you mentioned being a biblical man. That's complicated. Absolutely. There are some men in the Bible mm. that would go to jail for doing the things that they did if they did yep. them now, right? Yes. So even, even that is gray and messy. You're like, oh, I just want to be a biblical man. You're That's like, a good point. Uh, like King David? <laughs> uh, like Solomon? Like there's certainly some things that they did. That, I hear you. Uh, you know, and I, I think that that uh, is real. That's, you know, I think that's why we have, I think that's why this commercial has sparked such controversy. And um, as a father of a son, uh, I want to speak like life and purpose and identity into him, not just that I love him, but that because you are loved, then that has implications for how you treat other people Absolutely. To, to, to raise the bar, but to also say, man, it, it's okay to cry. Mm. It's okay to be upset. I feel like a lot of times maybe you and I were you know, in a similar kind of generation where it's sometimes showing those emotions was discouraged yes. as a sign of weakness. And, and I don't know that any one particular person handed me that. I think that was more caught than taught. Mm-hmm. It's more kind of just environment. But like it isn't just about, man, m- men raise up and be yeah. stronger men. It's also saying, hey, en- engage with the hard stuff better. Like find accountability, find community, find people that you can walk through these things with rather than the old adage of just sort of stuff it down. Because I feel like now – the pendulum has swung in a number of different ways, mm-hmm. but most depictions of like fatherhood, you know, in television or cartoon, the dad's just a doofus. Yes. Like he's he's a non-player yep. through and through. And I'm like, I don't think that's the point either. Like, well, don't be threatening, so just be a doofus, be a non-entity. Like, mm. what is it? What does it mean to believe the best in men, as the commercial suggests, and to also call out sin where we see it? Because some of the response has been like, oh, that's being blown out of proportion, blah, right. blah, blah. But if the stats are one in four women are sexually assaulted, that's a very real issue. Yes. Like as men, as Christians, as, just as hum- we sh- we need to be concerned about that mm-hmm. and to say, oh, it's not that big of an issue. I think that mm-hmm. kind of perpetuates exactly some of what the commercial is going after. So how do, how do you how do we engage in a conversation about this when it's so polarizing? I, I think there's an issue of power in here, like, mm-hmm. right? Um that men, um, that, that there, that there, it's not a loss for men for there to be a little bit of equality and for us to be sacrificial mm. yeah. and caring. I want my son to know that, or that to talk about having feelings and other things like you're saying is not an assault on uh, somebody here is quoted as saying uh, that this is an assault on those who look to demonstrate leadership under pressure and rise to challenges. No, let's mm. rise to challenges. One of those challenges within our culture is. How are women treated? Uh, how are uh, uh, how are specific men treated? How are you know like men? Yeah. yeah, lead. We want you to lead. Take your family to church. Lead in the church. Uh, we want you to lead uh, culturally. You know, like stand up for the people who need standing up for. Yeah. Uh, don't. It's all too often, I think, in our culture, the man has just been the masculine one. Let the woman deal with the kids and deal with this. But what makes me happy is like those aren't the men I know. Hmm. They're the men that are depicted. And they're also the ones who are highlighted because they're such, like, out there stories. I don't know about you. The men I know, 
like like they are trying to do this hmm. and they're trying to help each other and so i would say guys keep going yeah like love your wives sacrificially build into your kids go work hard have your fun follow jesus and model this for your family and as men are doing that in their everyday lives i think this issue is going to continue to get worked out within our culture well and i and i like what you said there but i think i'm going to i'm going to push back a little bit Brilliant. and uh maybe we talk a little bit more about this uh, a little later because i think sometimes the the the, the issue isn't simply that they're not trying because i totally agree a lot of a lot of men in my life personally i'm like man this is this is the kind of guy they want to be and yet they're still kind of bearing their head to certain facts and data. So like, yeah, their passion is in the right area. But sometimes if you're passionate in the wrong direction, it can be just as destructive, I think, if you're not opening your eyes to the real issues that are not even just in your own backyard, but maybe in our state, in our country, in our world. And so I think that's also the responsibility of the man. And I think, okay, so coming up next, let's, pick let's, it up. let's talk about let's this a little up. bit more here on The Common Good yep. on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined by Brian Fromm. The show, our dream, our vision for the show has been to enter into the messiness, and this this is one of the messiest that I think we've tackled so far. It's the issue of toxic masculinity. Yeah. And uh, Gillette Razors posted a commercial, a short film yesterday. It's caused a bit of a firestorm. It's about a minute and a half long, and it kind of uh, depicts some of how masculinity has has been depicted both in the media and in culture and um, seems to be calling on men to hold men accountable, yes. to hold men accountable, to live to a higher standard, um, to address issues in the world in a way that is honoring to, to the women and marginalized and the, anybody that, you know, um, we should be uh, be mindful of. The mm-hmm. commercial wants to seem to elevate that. But there seems to be a bit of a divide, you know, half are saying. Toxic, toxic masculinity is not even a thing. Why are we why are we talking about this? The other side is like championing it. There's probably a third category that's saying, "What does this have to do with razors again?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's fi- it's a fine film, yeah. but ultimately, I know that this is a commercial, and they're trying to sell me something. Yes. So maybe that cheapens the whole effort altogether. And uh, we had some thoughts to sh- both as fathers, fathers uh, of sons in general, raising um, men, and this idea even a biblical man. What is a biblical man? Yeah look like because even that's a little bit uh that, that can be a little saucy when it comes to yeah. the different characters of the bible so one of the one of the comments i wanted to share was uh, a, a buddy of mine and he said um i just asked people what do they think and he said it's pretty good if you think men are generally bullies and catcallers it's pretty terrible if you think men are generally better than that put me in that second group yes and so i think that's what i was trying to get at yep. before i think the vast majority of men i know are better than that hmm and that oftentimes men are depicted uh, as as bully or toxic. For the vast majority of us, we're not, but that's still not okay. Right. It's still not okay that that's there right. are some that are, and we need to speak out against that. And I don't know what the flip side is for women, but th- there's a dark side of femininity too, right? And so mm. um, I guess that was one of my points I was trying to make before that your friend said much better is that like – Hey, if there are these two camps, I kind of think that most are doing a good job at this. Hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean that the, the segment that's not doing a good job at it shouldn't be exposed and challenged by the ones who supposedly are doing a good job at it. Because silence is just saying it's okay. Yeah, right. right? Silence is 
just kind of a passive approval. Right. Uh, so if, if I'm right and there are the majority of men are doing this, I want to cheerlead them. I want to say keep going. Yeah, right. I want to say d- even do it more. Like love your family. Like dive in your family, your church, your work. Like keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. Mm. But let's add to that kind of a, a highlighting of <laughs> of the danger of of the other side of this toxic masculinity that I think is putting our head in the sand to say it doesn't exist. Right, totally. Uh, I I would just argue it's not per- it's not majority it's not pervasive but it still needs to be discussed um, and highlighted and hopefully uh, marginalized. See, and I would say it doesn't have to be majority for it to be pervasive. I think it is okay. pervasive. I think it's a bigger issue than uh, particularly the church has been willing to talk about. Not all churches everywhere, but by and large, um, I do want to believe the best in people. I I really do try. Hard to do that. My, my buddy uh, Samuel often says it doesn't have to be our fault to be our problem. That's good, right? Like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing those things. We're like, well, that's great, good, good for you. You shouldn't be. However, there is this issue. There, there are these, there, there are these reports that are statistics. I mean, obviously, you can argue statistics, you can argue reports, you can argue uh, partisanship, you can argue motive, you can argue all those things. But I also personally know women in my life who have been the victim of these types of things. Absolutely. And it absolutely breaks my heart. And I think it has to it has to start there. It can't just simply be about, oh, I'm arguing the the merits of this topic or this discussion. I think maybe what you were driving at, to be a, a biblical man or just a biblical person, to live as Christ is to first let that break your heart, that even one person has been on the receiving end of this kind of, to be made f- to feel less than, to to have their humanity challenged by someone who assaulted them or maybe even just whistled at them in a way that demeaned them. That's a problem for Christ followers. That's a problem when you see, when we know that we're image bearers. And I think my my buddy Justin commented on this as well. I think he put it brilliantly. He said, whether it's a good or bad message, at some point, our society is going to need some moral basis and reasoning to support such demands. That's when public conversation will get fun again. Mm. Right? So that's it's exactly what we've been mentioning since the start of the show is that we have these confirmation biases, these echo chambers, and we just sort of seem to get louder and louder shouting at each other, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, yeah, we need yeah, to talk yeah. about this. And I, I think how, how do we actually engage in a conversation? Well, it starts with people. Yes. Do you, do you know people who have been victimized, who have been hurt, who have been on the receiving end of this? Learn their story rather than jumping right to arguing legislation or the merits of a razor commercial like right. do we it's you know i i think it was shane claiborne who said you know the great tragedy isn't that we don't love the poor it's that we don't know the poor mm. it's not you know we can say that we love them like okay tell me tell me a name yep. i think this is the same thing like we oh i really i stand up for women and um, you know protecting women or you know equal rights and i think okay mention a name like how how, how do we actually live this out you know and i think um when you're used to privilege, equality can feel like oppression. Yes. You know, sometimes getting even to an equal point can feel really uncomfortable if if you've never felt that before, if you've never known that before. And I think that's sometimes why people get so worked up about that. That's this. good. And some, uh, that's all good, man. I, I think that for me, it also comes back to a question of activism. What does activism look like? Mm. Um, because it can get overwhelming. Like none of us are pro-assault, hopefully. Yeah, uh, right. But what do I do with that? You know, and. And I think that's what makes sometimes the Facebook social media world so frustrating is because people will post these grandiose things like – and we're probably going to see it with this commercial today, right? This is going to go viral and right. people will be posting. But you, you're left with like, OK, what are you going to do about it? Hmm. Like what, what is your move? What's your next move? What are you going to do today? 
um, as as just a man, as a father, as a pastor, as a churchgoer, um, how are we going to to train men, uh, both young and older, uh, to live uh, to, to live that masculinity that we would say is is Christ following? Hmm. Um, and that's where I was trying to get at a little bit is just saying, hey, uh, take the steps you can take, train your boy. Uh, maybe in a church, get some men together and start having this conversation. Yeah. Uh, kind of, if, if we do believe that most men, like I do, that most men are doing this well, well, let's get them out of the shadows. Oh, that's let's good. Let's start talking about this. Let's let women see that there are men out there that are not living as as kind of the media is depicting. You know, we're not all Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein, right? right. Like they're, they're trying, and that we're on their side. Mm. Like let's churches and and companies or whatever. Let's start highlighting this um, and, and see if that can bring about change. Because sometimes we can get lost in like, this stinks. I'm going to post about this. Right. And then like right. you said, what are you going to do about it? Uh, like I remember um, at a church, there was that book. Do you remember this a couple years ago? You are probably in college. There was a big book called Why Men Hate Going to Church. Hmm. And the answer to that was to make your churches more manly. Wow. And I remember – thinking, this is awesome, and then all of a sudden realizing, no, 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 wait, that's right. not the answer. Right. The answer is start helping your men understand Jesus yep. and the good news. The problem isn't that the church is too feminine, the church is this. The, the, the answer is let's help men and women understand who Jesus is, fall in love with him, and understand that he's the hope for all. Yeah. And, and that, I remember being a good shift for me. Like, I don't have to make this more manly. I need to make this more... Uh, godly. Yeah. Well, and I, man, can I push back on twice in <laughs> one going. segment or Keep one going. particular topic? I think uh, I am for highlighting the stories of men doing yep. things well as a third or fourth move down the play. I think part of the issue is that men have so often dominated the airwaves that I think it's actually a really important time for us to be quiet, which is ironic because we're on a radio we're show. On radio. Right? <laughs> but like to, to first elevate the stories of women survivors, women who have experienced this firsthand to give them voice as men say, I realize that we've been in the driver's seat often for far too long. We're going to be quiet and listen. We want to assume a posture of listening. Walk, tell us not only your story, but how can we collectively as a community get better? Yep. And I think that's a really important motive. And I'm good with that. Uh, and I guess I also want to add to it. Um, let's not uh, either purposely or not on purpose create a message where all men feel like we're bad. Yep. I agree. But let's instead also raise up what more true, true masculinity looks like and encourage men to run after it. Yep. Well, I, I don't think this is going to be the last time that no. we <laughs> talk about this particular topic here at The Common Good. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the missionary martyr dilemma, the missionary martyr dilemma. And we're going to unpack some of maybe the issues found there within here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined by Brian Fromm, and uh, we've been diving into a number of different topics today, most that don't have easy conclusions or easy answers, yes. and so we, we're often encouraging, please continue the dialogue. You can find us online, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Um, we would love to continue to interact with us. We, we don't we don't want this to simply exist from 4 to 6, Monday through Friday. We know that not everybody consumes media the same way, so you can find us on every platform. We're podcasted. Mm-hmm. Um, we would love to continue these conversations with you. And uh, I mentioned that we're going to talk about this missionary martyr dilemma. Uh, the title says, From Jim Elliott to John Allen Chow. And uh, I'm wondering, Brian, can you just give us some of the context of this story and why why we're talking about this today? 
Yes, yeah, so John Allen Chow, he was recently, uh, within the past few months, he was the missionary uh, who went by himself to the North Sentinel Island and decided, you know, this is an unreached people group. We all, if you've been around the Christian world enough, you know about unreached people yep. uh, and kind of the importance and why people say, hey, we got to get to the unreached people who've never heard the gospel. Uh, and so he decided he was going to go to this isolated tribal group that really had no interaction with the outside world. Um, hmm. And he went in, uh, and, and uh, people have some trouble with his methodology, right? He kayaked in and just kind of yelled, I'm here in peace, basically, but in, mm. in English, if I remember right. Uh, and he was almost immediately killed by bow and arrow wow. um, as he went in. And it's, it's engaged this conversation of, uh, was he faithful or was he foolish? Hmm. Uh, what do we think about... Uh, the move that he did. And out of that, I would love to hear about what you think about that, but out of that um, has also come a a discussion about Jim Elliott. Hmm. So Jim Elliott famously, <laughs> I went to Wheaton College, and uh, Jim Elliott is, is uh, and, and a lot of the guys who got killed with him are part of uh, Wheaton's lore a little bit. In 1956, on January 8th, 1956, they were killed with spears by members of an isolated tribal group then known as the Alcas. Hmm. Um, and so uh, he, Jim Elliott specifically, uh, has been just um, idolized is the wrong word. But, yeah, I get um, what you're saying, though. But he has been held up. Yep. And so a lot of people have tried to link the two. Others have tried to say, no, these are two different stories. No, it's a different world we live in. Because I would say the reaction to John Allen Chow has been very different than yeah. the reaction to Jim Elliott. So that's kind of the background. Well, and I so I grew up in a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. As so did I. I. That's right. As did so I. So I've I've always I've always grown up with like this passion for missions, yes. and my definition of that word has certainly morphed and changed over the years, and I imagine it will continue to do so. But like, before, you know, this pre Facebook, pre YouTube, we are a little church in Dearborn, Michigan. You know, we we were funding like three or four different missionary families. Yeah. So when they came home on furlough, we were their home church, and they had photo albums of the things that they were doing in you know Brazil or Kenya or like it was. I remember even as a kid thinking, "Wow, my world is not the world," and being mm-hmm. so fascinated, so intrigued by like what God was doing with the Big C Church and the and these places in the in the world that didn't look anything like my world yes. at all. And for a while, I think, uh, really wanted to do that kind of work, to, to be uh, um, a quote-unquote traditional missionary. Yeah. Um, so truthfully, candidly, when I read stories like this, I'm a, I'm a little torn. There, mm-hmm. there, there's tension for me here, and there's other elements to this. Like he was, you know, he's breaking Indian law. Like that's, to me, just not a, a good idea. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think as my definition of mission and mission work has grown, um, I've become – a little disenfranchised by this sort of like parachute in approach, like, hey, the the white man is here to solve all your problems, and I know that I know that because I've been here for twelve minutes. I think that posture, that mantra of just with no connection, no relational equity, no um, no no real um, established understanding to just kayak in. I could see it like being a scene in a movie as this like heroic moment, and then the Christian is you know. He's executed apparently pretty quickly, right? Quickly. Like it's, and I don't even know how they found him. Like, how did they get news of this? Like, I don't know. I, I think we sometimes elevate the the heroism of like this really dangerous thing, um, but I think underneath it though is this approach that like I, I'm going 
to to fix all their problems to save them. And I think again, maybe his motives were great. I imagine they probably were for sure. Andy, I, I also want to make sure to re- recognize he was under the umbrella of a mission missions agency. He had gone through years of training. They, in fact, said we thought he was prepared to do this. Got it. Got I it. wrestle with that same tension that you are uh, because something about it feels imperialistic. Something about it feels colonial. A little, colonial, right. good. A little bit feels off. There's a, there's another side of me that feels really impressed mm. that's like, hey, listen, these people need the gospel. Yep. Uh, so, um, you know, he's not even a white guy going in there. He's, he's right. American. But um, – the, the, I, I do. I, I like you. I feel really torn when I read the stories about him because then there's also this Christianity Today article did a great job of saying, "Hey, we lionize or idolize or canonize Jim Elliot and the right, others." Right. Don't forget Elizabeth Elliot was left behind. Yes. And the other wives are wow. left behind. Like this is still a tragedy. Wow. The question is: Is the tragedy um, uh, worth it? Yep. For the for the sake of the gospel going forward, because we've been told to go to all nations. Hmm. And so I do I, – there's part of me – I really am torn on this one. That's why I, we would love to hear your feedback on this at facebook.com slash the common good radio show. That's the common good radio show because I think you can hear Ian and I both, both from our background and just reading these stories, a little torn on um, good move or bad move. Was this right or wrong? Because I do I, – I respect not just Jamelli, but but – I respect the guy for going for it, for believing in the gospel that deeply, but yet it also feels foolish to me. Well, and I, you know, I've often heard the analogy or the metaphor that uh, if someone was sitting on the train tracks and a train was coming down after them, at what point do you just simply tackle them off the tracks, right? Mm. And that's usually uh, a justification for a really brash approach to uh, evangelism, to missions work. Right? Hey, eventually the train's coming. I, I'm doing you a favor by tackling you off the tracks, which the metaphor makes sense, right? Yeah. If, a, if a literal physical train is coming, and I'm, you know, I wrestle even with that. Like sometimes in my cowardice, I don't share because I'm like afraid of what they're going to, th- and that's embarrassing to admit even as a pastor. Like the amount of times on a plane someone's asked, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And I've like been a little tinyly embarrassed to admit. I speak. I, I, I work with people. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that in me? A lot of that is just my own insecurities. It's my own, oh, I don't want to offend them or weird them out. Or And, you know, sometimes it's a great conversation. Sometimes it really does weird them out. But the, the article toward the end says this. It, it means that Christians must seriously consider uh, what the best means are, not just for sharing the story, but for sharing it with respect. Mm. Man, that respect piece. We're not just called to be deliverers of the truth, but yep. to do so with the aroma of Jesus, right? It's not so often, I think, because we say, well I'm, well, I'm telling truth, we use that as a justification to deliver it however we please. Mm. Because if, well, if I'm right, then the packaging shouldn't matter. And I don't think the Gospels conclude that, that how you do it, the methodology in some ways is as important as the message. That is the next sentence, because what I appreciate about this Christianity Today article is they're wrestling with it too. They're not like, here's the answer. The the next line after what you just read is, it's not easy to know what this looks like in practice, particularly in someone else's cultural contest. Right, right. This makes thoughtful questions about our missionary attitudes essential. Hmm. I think it goes back, like you said, to motive. It goes back to what is our calling? Is our calling to go uh, everywhere, and uh, or is it look different in this cultural context? I. I struggle with this one. I think I think I can see both sides of this story, the gray, yeah. as we've been discussing. And so we'd love to hear 
uh, some of your responses to this as well. Well, even I don't even know that First Peter three fifteen helps. He talks about uh, approaching with gentleness and respect, right? Like he he almost didn't even have a chance to figure out his methodology. He was probably going you, there with respect. Yeah. You, you'd think so, right? Yeah. And I think that just as we live out everyday life, that's probably a good kind of starting point, though. Whenever we're talking online or we're speaking with people we disagree, remembering that it's God, it's your loving kindness that leads to repentance. Mm, Peter yeah. instructs us gentleness. And respect. I'll be. I'll be honest. Oftentimes, my rhetoric doesn't represent gentle or respectful. To keep that out in front as like a target um, for us to kind of aim at, I think yes. is really, really important. Well, coming up next, that's been a heavy topic. We're going to talk about some more ridiculousness that we saw on the internet. Some of it, hopefully, true. Some of it, uh, a little absurd. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna take a little bit of a breather there and talk about just some of the funny stuff that we saw. Online, right here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I'm joined by Brian Fromm. The Common Good is a show, hopefully, to bring some good to the world, but also to engage with the common. What are the stuff, there's so many things that divide us. What if we started first with the things that we have in common? Hopes, dreams, struggles, concerns, doubts. I think when we start there... Uh, we have a, we stand a better chance of having a thoughtful conversation. Absolutely, you and I haven't disagreed much in the first week and a half of this show, but I feel like today <laughs> we're getting it in. We did it. Went after some fun. a little bit. Hope we can still be friends after this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been kind of heavy the last uh, hour or so, so I thought we'd we'd close just talking about some funny, lighthearted stuff that we uh, that we found on the internet. Strange I'll, things we found on the internet. Hi, we really got to do something about that title <laughs> again. If you have a better suggestion for this particular piece, you can find us at Facebook. Just go to the Common Good radio show i would love your suggestions otherwise so, i'm going to keep singing that. i was going to say so that brian will stop doing that voice um okay so here's the headline florida man charged after eating patrol car seat <laughs> a florida man is facing additional charges because you know he was already in the car for doing something a bit gross in the back of a police car key west deputies arrested 37 year old melvin stubbs for the possession of cocaine and after deputies said they discovered 40 grams in the dr- of drug on this person blah 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 on his way to jail deputy said stubbs chewed up or ate the seat of the patrol car <laughs> how tasty does that sound that is like a little background about myself i tend to this is too much information i tend to chew on things a lot i eat things oh, i'm boy. staring at a pen right now on our desk that i i'm gonna, move, I'm gonna move it to the bit. other side here like this is something anyone who knows me knows this and even i am repulsed by a guy who's <laughs> chewing on an old patrol car i just love that he See? faces additional charges yes. like i'm just imagining what they're writing that up as oh, even i am disgusted by that yeah that's <laughs> that's bad all right here's one ready the Bird Box Challenge. We all know the Bird Box Challenge. It, it takes its name from a recent Netflix movie with Sandra Bullock, I believe, in which the characters must remain blindfolded. So this has become a thing where people are posting doing things blindfolded. It's called the Bird Box That's Challenge. such a bad we idea. We should do this as a radio thing. We should do a, do a whole show blindfolded. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. More people are thinking, maybe cover the mouth. You'd be yeah. better <laughs> here's, the, here's the headline. Bird Box Challenge leads to crash. Possible charges for Utah teenagers. I'm shocked. <laughs> Driving blindfold is not a good idea. The police officer said the bird box challenge while driving led to a predictable result. This happened on Monday as a result of a driver covering her eyes while driving on Leighton oh Parkway. Gosh. And, uh, yeah, the driver veered into oncoming traffic. Luckily, uh, nobody was seriously hurt. He said this. The officer says this. Honestly, I'm embarrassed to have to say <laughs> don't drive with your eyes covered. But, you know, apparently we do have to say that now. 
I mean, we also have to say don't eat Tide Pods, right? <laughs> yes. There's a lot of things in the last couple of years that or we never po- thought we'd have to say. Or police uh, seats in a car. Yeah, apparently. Right. So. Se- <laughs> seats so are not you, for chewing. If you're in your car right now on your way home and you are blindfolded, please take the blindfold mm. off. Bad idea. That's a good pastoral moment, Thank Pastor you. Brian. Thanks Thank for you. sharing that with everybody. Okay, this headline. This is another chewing one. Maybe I'm just hungry right now. Yes. Uh, lawyer. Coach chewing... <laughs> Uh, coat chewing could have thrown off breath test in drunk driving case. I don't even know that I need to share anymore. I'm as shocked as you are that that's even a thing. Who would know to chew a coat would successfully throw off a breathalyzer, potentially? Did it say that it was successful or well, that was just their move? That it was says an attorney, for, yeah, an attorney for a Pennsylvania woman charged with drunken driving hinted his client's coat chewing could have thrown off the results of her breath test. So maybe maybe it didn't actually because she's still you know working with a lawyer and wasn't as successful as she had hoped. But there you go. That just seems uh, insane to me. All right, here you go. Out of England, we're learning England are our best stories. Hey, Somewhere really? over. The- Thanks, England. Thank you, England. Someone stole a giant bronze hippo, and the owners want it back. Oh, sure. That is deadline. This bronze sculpture of a hippo was reported stolen 1,500 pounds. <laughs> It weighed 1,500 pounds, and the owner wrote, the business wrote, we're so sad that someone has stolen our beautiful sculpture, and they are now trying to find who stole the 1,500-pound bronze hippo. That takes some planning. Like, this is like Ocean's 13, Ocean's 11, whatever <laughs> right. number it was, like level, like steel. That needs a big vehicle, bunch of people, but it sounds like they got away with it, and they stole the 1,500 pounds. It sounds like you were the guy that did it, Brian. This requires a lot of things, like a big vehicle, a certain number of pulleys (laughs) and straps. (laughs) Why are you wearing gloves right now? This this is very concerning. Why is your passport in your pocket? All right, this is another one where the headline says it all, and uh, we're just sort of wrapping up each hour with funny, lighthearted stuff from the Internet that we found. So (laughs) if you're just joining us, you can be comforted that this isn't the entire show, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, this one says, that'll show him. Mom arrested after allegedly driving drunk to teach son a lesson. Oh, probably worked. Do you think so? Would that work for <laughs> if you? If he got arrested, the son learned consequences. I think the lesson oh, is... Terrible nev- idea. The lesson is never drive with your mom. <laughs> that, how would you ever... <laughs> like, that'd be terrifying to get dropped off at school. Every, she drove, apparently, 150 miles an hour to teach her son a lesson and was driving a BMW. While doing the bird box challenge. While doing the bird box <laughs> challenge with a hippo in the backseat. Uh, <laughs> all right, last one for me. Man pleads guilty after alligator threat. So a man, police say, <laughs> used a three-foot alligator as part of an extortion t- attempt. So he came up to the other guy and he threatened him with alligator. That I mean, that would work. That would I, work for me. I think it would. I think it would. Uh, he said he had been kidnapped and his abductor was demanding $800. Uh, and the way he did it was to put really close to him an alligator. For $800? I, think, I guess. I thought this was going to be like a, the Hope Diamond kind of story. <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to take that threat seriously. Like, yeah, you better shape up, man, or and alligators. I would have guessed this was a Florida thing or maybe like Southern thing, but it's sure. Connecticut. <laughs> Connecticut. Oh, it is. That's my favorite part of the whole story. And, and the, the officer who said this, the officer said uh, it is one of the strangest cases they have ever investigated. I mean. Uh, yes. Extortion by alligator threat. <laughs> okay. Last one for me then. This, uh, the headline says, school urges rich kids to stop wearing and losing 
three hundred and fifty dollar beanies. <laughs> three. I don't think I own anything no. that's worth three hundred fifty. My car is barely worth three hundred fifty dollars. Can I don't? Maybe you were raised in a family that like wore fancy clothing or jewelry, and people were like this watch is a thousand dollars. I was like, I would never, I would never leave the house. I don't have any confidence in my ability to not lose stuff. Like, can you imagine no. sending your kid to school with a three hundred and fifty dollar beanie? No, I can't ever imagine purchasing one, having one like. I mean, is it, is it lined with gold? What is this? <laughs> it is comes this? with a $200 bill. Uh, I have no do you, idea. Do you know what you're going to get if you wear a $350 beanie? This feels like it's going to be a joke. An alligator threat. Oh, God. <laughs> you're going to get an alligator we threat. We call that a callback, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I just for me, it's not just the purchasing of it, but it's that they're being lost uh, in multiple ways. Like, it's it's kids that are like, ah, because I'll, they're just, kids. I'll get another one. Yes. Yes, well, the internet did not disappoint today, my man. They, it never really does. I'm always amazed at these stories. We always have more than we have time to share, which kind of blows my mind. But um, today, though, we talked about a number of different things, yes. and I think one of the things that uh, has become really clear to me is that life is messy. And yes. some of these things that when we feel inclined to shout to maybe assume a posture of listening, right? Or if we find people that we find that we really don't like, to rather than retreating, to lean in, right? Brene Brown says people are hard to hate up close. If there's a, a person or a story or a topic or someone that you really, really disagree with, I'm not saying, you know, get proximate with every person that Correct. stomps in your last nerve, but the invitation to say, man, rather than retreating, I'm going to I'm gonna dive into this a little bit. I'm going to enter into the messiness. That is really good. And that's our hope for this show is emptying into the, entering into the messiness together. The one black and white thing I want to take away from today is – uh, in Christ, there's now no condemnation. We talked about that in the 4 o'clock hour. Yeah. There is now no condemnation. And I want to leave here kind of head high with that good news uh, about our identity in Christ. That's great. Well, thanks for joining us here on The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. I'm joined by my good friend, Pastor Brian Fromm. It has been such a joy to be with you. Join us again tomorrow at 4 p.m. on AM 1160. Hope for your life. <laughs>